Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, people, we're back. Back in the saddle. Feels good to be back. We had a great episode yesterday with Juliana Hever that I just got up, and I'm backing it up with an amazing interview today with Byron Davis. Uh, Two in a row, two days in a row, which feels great after having taken a little bit of a break. to be back in the flow of the podcast. Uh, Byron joins us today. We had an amazing interview. Uh, he's one of the most inspiring people that I know. I've known him for quite some time. He's a good friend. Uh, and I know him back from my swimming days. He was an amazing competitive swimmer, uh, almost the first uh, African-American to make the Olympic team. He ended up falling a little bit short, and he tells that story today. But He's a guy who uh, is really a self-made guy. He came from very humble, uh, a very humble upbringing uh, and really had to pull himself up from the bootstraps. And he tells a story of how swimming saved his life and set him on uh, the, tra- the trajectory that uh, has made him uh, a very inspirational figure today. He has a lot to share. He's very passionate. He's very articulate. Uh, and he's inspiring. His message is inspiring, and he's helping a lot of people um, kind of f- find their inner, uh, more authentic self. And that's a big part of my message and, and this podcast. And although it's a technically a health and fitness-oriented interview series, uh, the kind of undercurrent or the predominant theme really is self-transformation, self-actualization. How can we be better? What are the tools that we can learn and and incorporate into our lives to uh, kind of transcend our circumstances and become the best version of ourselves. And that's the message of my book, Finding Ultra. Um, and that's really, uh, really, really important message uh, to me personally, and one that I want to share whenever I can. And, and Byron is an amazing ambassador of that. So we have a great conversation. Uh, it's a long interview, so I'm going to keep this introduction short. I think we're, we're setting a record today <laughs> in length because Byron and I and Julie, who participated in part of it, um, we talk for a little bit over two hours. And um, so I don't need to make this any longer than it has to be. Hey, everybody. Like me. Inside Tracker wants to help you start the new year right. So they're thrilled to help support the Living Proof Challenge, the no cost, science based habit building program designed by my well being wizard brother, Simon Hill, to specifically up level the most important biomarkers that drive health span, that drive disease prevention, physical fitness, and mental well being, courtesy of a doable, evidence based 12 week program elaborated upon in length in my conversation with Simon that dropped January 1. That's RRP 804. If you listen to that episode, then you know the program entails comprehensive blood testing at both the commencement and conclusion of the challenge. And nobody handles blood testing better than Inside Tracker, who are graciously encouraging everyone to join the no cost challenge by offering a 25% off discount on Inside Tracker tests. To unlock the discount and learn more about this challenge, visit theproof.com slash livingproof. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to 
the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily, personally, for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now, for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities, of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. Without further ado, I want to get right into the interview with Byron. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but uh, I hope you find him as inspiring as I do. I, Like I say at the end of the interview, I am definitely a better man for having him in my life. He continues to uh, inspire me, and I think that uh, his energy is infectious, and I hope you enjoy it. So check him out. Byron Davis. Talk about whatever you want. What do you want to talk about? Hey, let's just jump right in. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about, you know, epic body. and That's right. So, uh, you know, this podcast is, I guess, technically like a health and fitness podcast because you have to pick a category, you know, for iTunes. But, you know, I, I like to think of it as being much broader. You know, it's really about, I mean, why are we interested in health and why are we interested in nutrition and fitness? And it, it really kind of goes back to transformation, like life transformation. How do you, how do you better yourself? And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, Byron, I think you're, 
you have one of the most inspirational stories I've ever heard about personal transformation. I mean, your life is incredible. Your story is incredible. And, you know, I'd like to just kind of, you know, get, get into that a little bit. Let's you want hear to talk it. about that? Let's hear it. Well, uh, where, where do you want to start? We can start at birth. We can start <laughs> the at the beginning. It's <laughs> Start at birth. <laughs> well, I mean, start you, at the you, beginning. You, you know, you've, you had to overcome quite a bit to, to get where you are. And, and uh, I guess I can start with, you know, when we met, I mean, well, or when I first became aware of you. I mean, I think the first time uh, I knew who you were, and it was many years later before we ever met, but... I remember being at a swim meet. It was like national championships or maybe junior nationals. No, I think it was nationals sometime back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And I was there swimming the 200 fly and, you know, I was probably, old 80s. probably senior in high school or something like that. And, uh, and you had started to make waves on the national swimming scene in, in the, in the sprint events and the hunter butterfly. And I think it was at Indianapolis. I don't remember what meet it was, but I remember walking the deck with a couple of my swimming teammates and we had heard of you. And then I, you, it was warm ups or something. And you had just jumped out of the pool and you were walking down the deck and my buddy, Brad Jones and I saw you and we're like, Holy shit. Look at that dude, man. <laughs> I don't want to race that guy. Oh, that Cause uh, you were like chiseled out of granite. You know, I mean, swimmers by, by nature are, you know, they're, they're built dudes and they're built like, you know, inverted pyramids or whatever, but you were like a standout on the deck. You were so cut and fit and I was, it, it was just terrifying. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, and then you went on to, you know, uh, be extremely successful as a swimmer and, and, uh, swam at UCLA. Mm. And, uh, before we get back into the backstory, I wanted to just talk a little bit about that. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you made a solid effort to try to make the Olympic team and, and kind of fell a little bit short. Mm. And let's, let's talk about that story a little bit. Yeah, actually that's a really good jump off point. Um, well, back in 1996, I made the Olympic trials, made the finals. In fact, uh, went and seated first in the finals. Uh-huh. And, and at that, at that point, that was in the hundred butterfly, in the hundred butterfly. Right. And, uh, at that, at that point, that was, um, the fastest recorded, uh, top eight heat in, in, in American history. And who were the other guys that were um, in that heat? We, we had Mark Henderson. Um, we who was a, my teammate. Yeah. I swam with Mark, um, my club team. Yeah. And I mean, he's just phenomenal. Just a lot of great guys, but, but every single person in that race, um, had swum faster than Mark Spitz world record way back in the day. I mean, it was the fastest uh, top eight guys in America at the point. Um, and this and, is 1988? Well, this is, is ni- 1996. Oh, uh, 96, okay. 96 for the, uh, the Atlanta Games. And uh, that prelim- in the prelims, the preliminary, of course, you, you swim prelims first, and mm-hmm. uh, basically the top guys from that, the top eight, come back and swim another race, and then the top two make the Olympic team. And uh, I, I swam the which, race of, which by the way, not to interject, but you know, it's brutal, right? Yeah. It's like you're, you're first or second or you go home and yeah. you know, elite swimmers are training four or five hours a day. You know, it's black line mania, you know, yeah. just in the pool all the time or in the weight room, you show up for that, you, 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 you bust your butt and you taper and you show up at that meet. Mm-hmm. And if you have an off, you, you could be number one in the world and undefeated for the last five years and you show up and you have an off day or you got a sniffle and you're not top two, you're not making the team. Yep. I mean, that's it. The, the U.S. Olympic trials for swimming, um, I hear this all the time. All national uh, team athletes say this. It, it is a pressure cooker. And the competition is so thick. The United States, we have so much depth in the sport of swimming. So much depth 
that uh, many people say that, you know what, the Olympic trials was, was, was tougher than the actual the Olymp- the Olympic it Games. It usually is. It is, right. It's, it's more, it, there's, there's more, on, it's sort of like you make the team and then you go and you have a good time. You still want to win and, <laughs> right. you know, whatever, but it's sort of like there's a huge relief. It's all about the trials. Yeah, it's all about the trials. And so uh, that race at the Olympic trials, I uh, made the final and uh, it was a great race. It was a pivot in my life. And we can get into this, um, you know, a little bit later, but. How far ahead were you at the 50 though? At the 50. You had, I, he had the fastest first, 25, 50 meters of anybody by far. Yeah. It was hang, It was it was that back half for you that was tough. Oh, it was crazy. Basically, you know, at that time, I had clocked the world's fastest 50 meter butterfly time, going out on my my hundred. You know, so <laughs> basically, <laughs> I, I broke the world record in the 50 meter butterfly. Right. It's like breaking. The, it's like breaking the uh, 100 meter <laughs> track record in the 200 meters right. by, it, in it, the first hundred. Exactly. So I went out like gangbusters. Went out crazy. And, uh, and I came back the second half, big elephant and piano and the whole ceiling, everything just dropped on my back. The last 15 meters of the race, I would, my, my shoulders, my, my lungs, everything just collapsed. I couldn't, I couldn't get my arms out of the water. It was mm-hmm. painful. And, uh, in the process, uh, three other guys ended up touching me out and I missed making the Olympic team by three tenths of a second, three tenths of a second. Uh, oh my gosh. And, uh, it was a heartbreak. Uh, but, um, I'm going to jump back a little bit, but then uh, we can move forward. Right. Uh, what the beauty that actually has come out of that race, Rich, is that what most people don't realize is I wasn't even supposed to be in that race. Most people don't realize they, they think, wow, that's a heartbreak. And, and to be honest with you, it was, I mean, I had, mm-hmm. I had, um, post meat depression and went through dark days of the soul afterward and woke up and realized that my dreams of making the Olympic team and getting on the Wheaties box was done. <laughs> right. It wasn't going to happen. But, um, but what, what I had to realize out of that emerged a beautiful story that kind of uh, set the course for the rest of my life. But before that race, 14 months leading up into that race, I was two years into my retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had stopped swimming after college and I was on my way to law school um, I had interned at a law firm in Philadelphia the, uh, my senior year, and uh, I was preparing, you know, to to take the uh, you know LSAT and, and 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 go and did that, and and I was on my way. But you know what? That summer when I interned, um, I realized I was in a, a legal library pretty much twelve hours a day, and I had a, a stacks of of deposi- uh, depositions and a highlighter. I, don't, and, I have no idea what that feels like. <laughs> and all I did was was highlight key words, key phrases um, for 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 two attorneys. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, that's what I did. Uh, I just and then I would do research and just highlight it. And and I was like, this is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. Well, it's amazing. You get this. You know, you get this college education. You know, and you're sort of prepared for the world, and you kind of step forward and think, well. You know, this is the upwardly mobile thing to do, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and then to kind of walk into that and go, really? Like this is this is it? This is the this is the big prize. Yeah. And after being, you know, at the level you were in swimming and all the excitement and all of that to be, you know, sitting in that office, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, reduced to a highlighter. And <laughs> I mean. <laughs> It was not fun. It's a, it's a, a I dark, bet you were really a dark good with that highlighter, though, weren't yeah. you? Oh man, you know what? I, I became <laughs> I, just a, a brilliant artist with, with highlighter. I was, I was, I was really, you know, just it a, was. You applied that Olympic prowess just right into that right. highlighting. I, I, I applied are. excellence. You're like to that in everything you do. <laughs> That's great, but but so that summer, um, I realized I did I didn't want to go to law school, 
and didn't want to um, do anything that way. But at the same time, um, I realized I wanted to continue to swim. I knew in my heart that I had my best swimming still ahead of me. Yet I had to tell my mom, I had to tell the rest of the world and my my social network and, and people that uh, I wanted to get back in the water and train. But uh-huh. now here, I'm no longer in college. In the United States, there's really no professional swimming. You you had, especially back, back in 96 and 95 and back in the early 90s, you really had to swim overseas if you wanted to at least survive. Right. So I, I definitely, I, I knew I wanted to swim. So what I ended up doing was becoming a substitute teacher in Compton, California. So I went into the hood and uh-huh. taught English and PE. And then I, I decided to start training with the crosstown rival, USC, of course, being from UCLA, right. went to USC. That's, that was like unheard of. So, But at this point, had UCLA already... Uh, decimated their program? Yeah, UCLA, um, my senior year in 93 was the the last year we, we had the men's team. Right, and just for the listener out there, uh, UCLA was a dynasty in swimming, you know, in the 70s and the 80s and just produced, you know, champion after champion and NC2A championship team, you know, one after another. And um, it was uh, kind of Title IX that was the death knell for the program, yeah. right, which was a law that was passed that said, you had to have equal funding for women's sports and men's sports. And so colleges across the country had to start cutting men's programs or funding more women's programs. Mm-hmm. And and UCLA ended up cutting its swimming program, which yeah. was devastating was crazy. To, to swimming. And, and still to this day is unbelievable to me. And it's unbelievable that they have not resuscitated the program. We're, 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 we're trying to work on that right yeah. now. We, the alumni yeah. were really working hard. They just, UCLA just built a beautiful new 50 meter pool specifically for the competitive aquatics. So for the, um, volley, uh, the water polo team and the women's swim team. So we're trying to really I've get back seen in it. there. It's incredible. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no men's swim team to use this facility. It's, crazy. it's unbelievable in Southern California. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. But, uh, so because of that, I decided to swim, um, start training at USC, and uh, I had no money, and uh, pretty much living, with, there were about six guys in an apartment. Uh, I started substitute teaching and training, and that's mm-hmm. it. But in that moment, Rich I, uh, and Julie, I knew that I was in my sweet spot. I knew that I was supposed to be there. You know, I couldn't explain it to other people, but I knew that I was supposed to be there, and I, all I knew was to get up every morning and train. And um, to make a long story short, I ran into a friend of mine uh, who was uh, a swimmer, and, and she said, you know what, you need to contact Jonty Skinner, because the U.S. Mm-hmm. national team's creating this new uh, unprecedented program at the Olympic Training Center, um, the resident national team, and they, they, they said people who, who want to, the top people, top swimmers in the, in the world are invited to train at the Olympic Training Center, you should apply. Now, I thought that this was going to be crazy because, again, here I had never been proven in the 100-meter butterfly. So long course was not you know, a, a, a strong point for yeah, me. Yeah, but you were a name in the sport. I mean, it, yeah, it wasn't yeah. like you were a nobody. I mean, everybody knew who you were. Well, yeah, but, uh, but again, I had no results. Right. You know, I, 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 all my results were yards and in college. Uh, so I'm training, I'm swimming. I write Jaunty Skinner a letter. Okay, I don't even qualify. My times aren't even fast enough to be a candidate. And this is where, again, I, um, where, and we can get into this, but this is where I really believe providence moves when we, when we follow our passion, even if we can't explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I write Jonty Skinner, the resident national team coach at the time, a letter. It was September, I remember, it was, it was September 10th. 
And I wrote him a letter and just shared with him, uh, just li- listed out an argument. This is where the, the whole political science and law came in. I constructed a great argument as to why <laughs> I should be a good candidate. With a highlighter. <laughs> with a highlighter, exactly. And uh, I wrote him a letter. I sent it off. September 28th, I get a call from Jonty Skinner. And, uh, and literally, I mean, Jonty is one of those guys really laid back, doesn't speak a lot, doesn't say a lot, uh, says what he means but pretty monotone, so you don't know He's whether... He's a South African guy, right? Yeah, South yeah. African guy. He was a great sprinter at the mm-hmm. time. He missed going to the Olympics because being part of um, the, the whole apartheid thing. Right, and, I remember that. The whole issue mm-hmm. didn't... So he really missed his, his thing, but became a very uh, you know, accomplished coach at University of Alabama. Became now the... Um, at this time, they picked him to be the national team coach for the resident program. Wrote him the letter. He calls me September 28th, and he says, Byron, just in a nutshell, in his, in his classic, um, I'm not giving you any emotion kind of voice, if you are honest about what you put in that letter, if you, if you really think you can do what you say you think you can do, and you're willing to be coachable, um, then I'll see you out here October 3rd. Oh, nice. Okay, so that was, you He's know. He's got goosebumps. It, oh, and, and then he, hung, he hangs up the phone. I don't even uh-huh. remember him saying goodbye. It was like, click. It was, <laughs> that was it. And I'm like, okay, did this just happen? You know, this, this is real. And so I was like, all right. So I ended up giving pretty much 90% of everything that I owned away, got out of my lease, all in, all in one day, got out of my lease, Packed everything else that that I had in my 1984 Audi 5000 that I bought for 1400 bucks, uh-huh. and literally drove out in fifty dollars in my pocket and drove out to Colorado Springs, uh-huh. not knowing what what was gonna meet me there. And then in 14 months uh, training at the Olympic Training Center after a two year layoff, I uh, went from never being world ranked in the 100 meter butterfly to being ranked in the top 10 in the world, and then coming within three tenths of a second to make the Olympic team. And so that, that story, <clears throat> I think, is the power. So although I didn't make the Olympic team, um, what I draw from that, uh, that experience was, you know what? Yeah, I, I came up a little short, but, but failure is never final, especially if you know how to use it to fertilize your future success. Mm-hmm. And so it took me a while to, to get that, uh, but, but that's what I learned because leading up to that point, here are all the small wins. There's, there's, uh, there's a, a new study out in positive psychology over the last 10 years, you know, they, they stopped, you know, uh, studying why, you know, all the illness in, in, in people's heads. And so they're, they're starting to study, well, great people who go through tough times, what, what makes them special? Well, in mm-hmm. positive psychology, there's, there's a, the science of small wins. That, that's, that's the phrase that they use, the science of small wins, which is um, people who are able to, to truly look at and own the small wins in their life, uh, what happens is you start to create a momentum. So that Absolutely. even if you, you're going through tough times and, and struggles and disappointments, um, during the times where you're knocked back or knocked down, that momentum still moves you forward. So even though you fall, you, you fall forward. It's like right. failing up. Exactly. You fail well, you've up. had you know, 10 little victories, and so then you have one setback. You can manage that. It's yeah. not devastating to you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and the lesson is is that you you know broke a paradigm or broke someone else's belief system about what could be done in your own. You mm-hmm. know, push those boundaries and and went for it, and you actually you you're actually a champion many times along that path. Yeah, uh, definitely, and um, and also I think Im- implicit in that is that is this idea that you had an intuitive thought or you know an emotional kind of drive 
that might have defied logic or was inexplicable, like your swimming career was over and mm-hmm. it was time to get on with life and you had this nagging feeling. And I think we're kind of preconditioned in our society to repress those feelings, mm-hmm. you know, and and my story and my book and, and your story is about kind of saying, no, I'm actually going to listen to that. And I don't know where it's going to lead me. And it, it, it might be crazy. And people are going to tell me this is the wrong thing to do, but you have that something inside you that's like pushing you and making that choice to listen to that and follow those breadcrumbs wherever they may lead, I think is a, is really powerful. Yeah, it definitely. Because, and here, here's the thing, I don't want to harp on what society teaches us, but but we've got to be honest, um, you know, we struggle with, in our society, uh, the, what I call the gravity of, of control and comfort. You know, there is, this, there is this gravity that continues to pull us into complacency. It keeps us safe. And when, when, when we're, we're, we're safe, all it does, it, it keeps us perpetuating and moving down the status quo. And if the status quo isn't your passion, isn't something that you're really called to do, isn't um, it, you're doing it for logical reasons, but reasons that don't resonate with your heart. Um, you start living in this state of quiet desperation, and mm-hmm. and you start becoming a drone. And and here's the, here's the crazy part: people get really good at becoming drones. They they become very competent and skilled in in, uh, in their profession, and it then keeps them even more stuck, right? Because they ha- they get a family. You know, we we all go through this. You get a family. You 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 have a house. All these different things you now use as logical, responsible excuses not to truly pursue your passion. And, um, and, and one of the things that, although I didn't learn this lesson at, after the race, um, it, it was years later that um, I look back on that race, that, that the lessons really started to emerge for me. But uh, during that time, um, uh, after 96, uh, I floated for a, a few weeks. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I just floated. In fact, um, I, I, I went, went, got out of Dodge. My girlfriend, who's now my wife, my girlfriend and fiance at the time, uh, was playing overseas in Greece. She was playing um, pro volleyball, indoor volleyball in Greece, and so I decided to just, uh, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna head on over to Greece. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so uh, I convinced my my mom to loan me some money, and and I literally, uh, you know, hung out in Greece for uh, two or three weeks. Hanging yeah, out that's cool. Well, I think that that uh, you know we're also sort of um, culturally compelled to you know sort of make a decision immediately like, okay, that chapter ended. What are you doing now? You need to know immediately, you mm-hmm. know, and, and we don't take enough time to kind of breathe and catch our breath and go, you know what? It's okay if I just like not make a decision right now for a little bit and, you know, collect myself and figure out what's next. I think ultimately it'll set you on a better trajectory. If you, if you allow yourself that space, as opposed to, oh my God, this is over. Like I need to get a job right away or, or go into some kind of tailspin panic over it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I wish I could say, uh, Rich, that um, th- I knew that and I, I had the courage <laughs> at that moment to pursue my passion, yeah, yeah. my next phase, my, my, my next chapter. Um, after I got back from, from Greece, uh, I was like, I got to get a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. got to right. get a job. And so uh, a position opened up, opened up to be an assistant coach at UCLA, but for the women's team. Mm-hmm. And uh, the head coach at the time approached me, Cindy Gallagher, and she said, you know, I'd love for you to come and help me with my sprinters. And it was a job, and it was in something that I was familiar with, so I ended up taking it. I got to tell you, five months into the job, I realized every day I stepped foot on the pool deck, 
I wanted to be in the water. I wanted to be, uh-huh. you know, and, and I was fighting this thing because it was like, no, your time is it's done. You're, you're finished. Right. But I wanted to be in, in the pool. And what I didn't realize then is, you know, I didn't necessarily want to, you know, try to reclaim some glory in the water. But uh, again, that passion for uh, adventure, for expressing myself, you know, kinesthetically, for the creative process that you go through when you're, when you're preparing for your, your event, um, all of those things were still fresh inside of me. Mm-hmm. Yet I was in a position where my job description was really clear and I, didn't, I couldn't move too much you know, to the left or to the right of that. I had to stay in that box. Um, but yet this, this spirit of creativity and adventure and wanting to express and use my body and my mind creatively to produce something, an idea, that was what was alive in me. So I struggled. And pretty soon mm-hmm. after a year, I quit. You know, I wasn't right. a very good assistant coach, <laughs> you know, and I wasn't doing my job well. Uh, Cindy would have fired me anyway. Uh, so I ended up, I ended up quitting and I got back in the water and started training. But at this, what year is this now? This is now, um, 19, 1998, uh-huh. 1998. So here's the thing. So now I'm married. My wife and I are married and, uh, she decides that she wants to play pro beach volleyball. And, uh, and, and, you know, she partnered with a person who was also new to the game. And at this point, 1998, uh, 1998, we're married and we live in an apartment and we decide that we were, both of us were going to go for the Olympics again, you know? Right. And so we, we go for the Olympics. I, I start <laughs> training great. and swimming. I go back to teaching again. So this is like comeback number two. <laughs> comeback number two. Right. Uh, long story short, I didn't make the 2000 Olympic games. My wife did. Did you make the trials that year? Yeah, I made the you trials. Uh-huh. I made the trials and um, uh, I injured my shoulder a couple of weeks before and, uh, and, and I got psyched out. I mean, that's a whole nother story. But um, I ended up not making the, the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. But here is the beautiful thing about that moment uh, in, nine, in 1998. Again, one of those kernels of confirmation that's like, you're on the right path. Stay the course. So in 98, um, we decide, my wife and I decide that we're going to pursue the Olympics. Um, but we're going to do it full on. So we couldn't really work. So I quit my job as an, a, subst- a substitute teacher because, again, that's what I knew. Mm-hmm. I, 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 didn't, I wasn't a, a coach uh, said, I can't substitute teach. I need to focus on swimming. Annette says, I need to focus on pro beach volleyball. Um, incidentally, she, in, she ended up making the Olympic team right. in 2000. So we got one Olympian in the family. So that's awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but here's, here's, again, here's where that providence comes in. No later, maybe it was maybe a month later, we're both into this. Uh, we don't have money and <laughs> wondering what's going to happen. I get a call from a, a casting agent in LA and uh, they said, you know what? Um, uh, I forgot. I even forgot what, what it wasn't. Um, I, I forget what company this was, uh, what gaming company, but they were creating a software, creating a game that was revolving around the Olympics. And it was uh, the swimming portion was Mark Spitz. That was the character they were using. And they wanted to do a commercial with Mark Spitz and then a, you know, you know, backdrop or, you know, uh, uh, other swimmers. So uh-huh. I was a, um, an extra, an right. extra in this commercial. So I get this call. I'm an extra. I got to tell you. They're like, we need a black guy. We need a black guy. <laughs> this, Byron, this, he's this, the only one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we need a black swimmer. Who can we, who can we find? Yeah, there's only one. Yeah, there's, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so we go and literally I spend the whole day and all we're doing are 25s. And, and, and I happen to be in the lane right next to Mark Spitz, right? Uh-huh. 
And so we're doing this back and Who, forth, by the way, like continues to swim masters at UCLA. And like, if you're a master swimmer in Southern yeah. California, you can be on the UCLA masters team. And he, you know, shows up and st- he still shows up and he swims. Still, yeah. And, you know. and a side note, Mark Spitz is hilarious. Um, and, and he doesn't mean to be. This, that's why he's so funny to me because um, he'll be talking, we'll be, you know, swimming and all. And all of a sudden he'll tell a story of, of, of how he broke the world record, you know, in warm up. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, he, and he's not boasting. He's like a, he's a caricature of himself. You know, <laughs> he he's is, almost yeah. like a cartoon version of him, of his own personality. He is. And everything is true. And you're like, this guy is just, just a dynamo. Uh-huh. But all of his over the top stories are actually true. I mean, <laughs> right. he did break the, 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 uh, the Olympic record in the 200 free as he was warming up. It's right. crazy. What, what year was that? It was his comeback. Remember that whole thing? Yeah, when his he, comeback was for 92. It was around the same time. Oh, it was, it was earlier. It was for, okay. it was for 1992. Yeah, so, 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 in fact, we knew each other because um, he started training with UCLA and, and uh-huh. he swam in the sprint lane um, the, from, 1990, from 1990 all the way up to the 1992 Olympic Games right. or uh, trials. But uh, going back to the, uh, this, this, this commercial, I get the commercial book the commercial, it's done. To this day, I've never seen the commercial, never seen it run on air. But between 1998 and 2000, um, I kept getting uh, these nice little checks. Residual. Residual checks in the mail that, uh, I mean, again, uh, one day's work paid for my SAG card. So we got insurance mm-hmm. and, uh, and we were able to subsist for two years. That's awesome. Um, That's amazing. While, 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 while we trained. That's and amazing. It, it was incredible. It was incredible. It is that crazy magical spiritual equation that like when your you know, heart is in alignment and you're walking with purpose and faith and you don't know where it's going to lead you that you get provided for. You know, I talk about that in the book and it seems weird or whatever, but it's been proven to me so many times in my life. And then, you know, I hear stories like yours all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's not, crazy. and it's not often like what, it doesn't often look like what you think it's going to look like. No, it's no, never, you, know? never, you could yeah, never, never predict happens. it. it you don't be, know what it's, it's going to look like. It's going to be very unconventional and very creative, yeah. but it, it always comes. And that's what, and that's what's scary. And mm-hmm. it's, it's scary. And if you're human, you get, you get scared by that. Because again, we're conditioned for comfort and control. We gravitate toward comfort and control in our lives, but the creative process is nothing. It, it's 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 not control. You're releasing. no. You have to it's yeah. Open. You have to surrender that. Open, you have right? to surrender that control. You have to be. You have to be willing to let go yeah. and and you know be willing to receive whatever is going to come your way. Yeah, you know? and and you can relate to this, uh, Rich, just in in uh, in training for I mean crazy <laughs> ultra stuff. There, there comes a point, and uh, you know, we, we call it being in the zone. But it, there, the, you, you, you reach a point in your your race or your event or whatever it is where you it's a crossroads, and that and that crossroads, you you have to make a choice. Either I decide to 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 keep control and do this through willpower, or you decide to let go, and mm-hmm. you decide to to just go into the to the zone. You you decide to say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna chase this, and and the pain is still there. The, the the courage you need to fight through stuff is still there. All all of that mm-hmm. that that doesn't go away, but at at some point you decide to let yourself be totally captured in the moment, and then that's where uh, you know breakthrough happens. Absolutely, and you know I talk about that a lot too, and you know the power of surrender and the beauty of surrender, and 
it gets it's it's a confusing concept for somebody who's not familiar with it because mm. the immediate kind of knee jerk reaction is well that's giving up like why you know what are you talking about I don't understand that and I'm mm. like no you know it's that's not what it is at all you still take the actions you do all the necessary things but you're relinquishing your attachment to the results and exactly. and, and uh, you uh, you sort of um, open yourself up to greater possibilities at times. And you have a great story about that. There's one race you told you told Julie and I this story about that one race where you were struggling with that. You had the right? flu. Yeah. yeah. Tell yeah. us that. Can you tell that that story? Well, um, I mean, the, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll tell you two stories. One, I mean, quickly the the whole idea. I mean, the race where I was just weak and I was sick and I had the flu and didn't want to, you know, compete, didn't want to swim, didn't think, you know, and being a swimmer, you. You, you play all these head games with yourself. You 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 wonder, am I going to hit my taper? Am I going to mm-hmm. you know? You, you you train a whole year, hoping that you peak at the right moment, only to drop two or three tenths of a second off your time. And that <laughs> was a, that was a successful kind of year. Insanity when you, when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like okay, what are we doing? I know it's crazy. <laughs> it's like the payoff, the 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 return on our investment. I mean, we would be being gypped. Well, anyway, so so you I'm playing with all these head games and all. And uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of the race, and at, at some point, again, I came to that crossroad where it was, okay, am I just going to give in to this moment, uh, or am I going to buy into the logical lies that, that, that I told myself? And, and the answer was no. In that moment, I, I, I allowed myself to give in to what, what I call now giving in to your greatness. Everyone, um, we, we, could, we, we all have three people in fighting for position in our lives. We, we can either be our average self, we could be our defeated self, or we could be our epic self. And, and our epic self is, the, the way that we do that is by learning to give into our own greatness. And, and we do that in these little moments of decision. And so in that race, um, I made that decision. It was just a shift uh, to allow, again, not, not looking at the outcome, not trying to will myself to win, but, but instead recognizing that, you know what? I have everything that I need in this moment to accomplish what I'm called to do at this time. It was, uh, you know, that, that was the moment. And, you know, the, the, the outcome was, was great. You know, I ended up winning uh, and getting my best time and, and everything. But again, that was just one of those small moments. And mm-hmm. I was sick. I was, I, I didn't, all the excuses that we had going, leading into to the race, um, you know, I, I didn't have a great taper, all these things existed they were true but yet um still walked away with my best time and walked away with 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 the victory Mm -hmm. yeah and when you first told me the story i was i was so delighted because you had talked about uh having all those facts and the the reality of the conditions and then at that moment you described it that you you just let go you know you 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 dissolved into your greatness and you felt something greater than yourself actually come in and Mm -hmm. you won right yeah. Against all against all logic, right. really. Yeah. And so for somebody who's listening out there, I mean, what? How do you do that? You know what I mean? It's it's there's the there's a gap between kind of intellectually understanding you know the story, mm-hmm. um, but but what are the tools that you have to employ to you know kind of free your mind up to allow yourself to be in that headspace? Um, I, I definitely think that uh, it's. There, there comes a point, um, almost like the perfect storm, 
that takes place where and and you've heard this the, the phrase um, when 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 we prepare uh, to do something so there there's there's a process of ownership and even getting to uh, the opportunity for great things to happen um, we all have to pay that price you know we we all struggle with what I call the pluck and the plop syndrome which is we want to be plucked out of our current situation and automatically plopped into our ideal situation um, and all the while uh, you know ignoring and forfeiting the process well we all have to go through that process the process of training the process of 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 doing what we know we need to do in order to be invited to the game you know in order to to actually be in that position to win or be in that position for great things to happen so that that's one side of it you definitely do have to prepare, and and preparing comes in many different ways. Preparing um, comes is knowing what your strengths and your gifts are, and knowing how you operate. Some people prepare very in a very uh, you know scheduled, methodical kind of way. Other people prepare in a very creative, um, very random, organic kind of way. Yeah, but I'm I'm the former, and Julie is the latter. I think. <laughs> but 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 here, but the key is so so if we're going to put this in the step formula, the, the first thing is identifying and owning how you like to prepare, uh, and and not making apology for it, but but owning how you prepare. But then here's the, I think the the second step is recognizing there comes a point where you have to trust that you've done all that you can do. And it's that moment of trust where this, this, this collision takes place and, uh, and providence moves with you, meaning all sorts of things start to happen in your favor that normally wouldn't if you didn't, if you didn't choose to, to allow yourself to let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in swimming, it's called, you know, we call it swimming out of our mind. We, we try to... We, tr- we we spend a lot of time trying to train and uh, and and mentally get prepared, but at some point we realize that now we have to spend the next uh, hour or however long it takes us to get psyched up for our race. Mm-hmm. What do we do? We try to get out of our mind. We put headphones on. We, right. we we do things to distract ourselves because we no longer want. After we've dotted the eyes, we've crossed the t's. We no longer want to uh, to, to question how we prepare. And, uh, and all we want to do is, is, is fight to be completely present. And, and that's the second part right. is once we've prepared, um, now the, 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 the simple key is protecting and guarding your present, mm-hmm. being completely present in that moment, because that's when you invite all of the other energy that takes place, energy from people, the crowd, uh, you know, yelling for you, the energy of, of that fear mm-hmm. that comes. Fear is a beautiful thing. Fear Fear and excitement come from the same source. I mean, to just think, I hope I'm making sense. I know I'm going no, all absolutely. Just, yeah. but, but fear and excitement come from the same source. Uh, you know, when, when we're fear, biologically, what happens? Our palm starts to sweat. Heart starts to beat fast. Eyes dilate. Um, you know, you get uh, the dryness of mouth, cotton mouth. Well, what happens when we're excited? Our hands start to sweat. Our, you know, heart starts to beat fast. Our eyes dilate. Mm-hmm. The same chemical, physical, biological reaction um, to fear is the same response to excitement. The key is fear is the anticipation of something bad, whereas excitement is the anticipation of something good. Right. And so in that present, in the moment, uh, we must condition ourselves to, to embrace what's going to be good as opposed to embrace what could be bad. 
Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautifully, beautifully, beautifully yeah. uh, eloquently put. Ah. It's, just, it's so <laughs> inspiring to hear you speak and you, Pastor you do Byron such a beautiful, well, I mean, he's such a, you know, you're such a beautiful soul and you're so connected spiritually and you have, oh, you know, you. so much beauty and it's just, uh, it's, it's a delight. Thank mm. you. I want to work yeah. with you. How do I work oh, this, with you? Oh, that's funny. This is great. This is great. This is, this is awesome. <laughs> It's, um, yeah, in swimming, you, you know, in addition to the physical training, there's a lot of visualization that you do. You know, you spend a lot of time kind of, yeah, at a meet, you're lying on a pool deck and you're like rehearsing your race, like every, every single detail, every tenth of a second from beginning to end of that 50 freestyle or whatever, so that by the time you get up on the blocks, it's a foregone conclusion. It's almost robotic at that mm-hmm. point. Like yep. the race is already done. And Julie used to always say this to me, um, you know, before the Ultraman race, it's like, it's already done. You've already, you've already done it. You just mm-hmm. have to walk through it now. It's, but it's already complete. Yep. And that, that is exactly what you said. It's about being completely present and showing up for the moment and, and allowing for, you know, the miracle to happen. Yeah. And, and you know, who's a master at this since we're, we're, we're talking swimming a little bit. Um, and I've followed him ever since, uh, I mean, ever since he, he came on my radar is Michael Phelps. Mm-hmm. Um, a quick story I like to tell is I beat Michael Phelps. You know, people, yes, I, I beat Michael Phelps. Byron. He was 14. Yeah. He was time. a child. He was a child. He just burst on the scene. It was the international, um, Santa Clarita International Meet, Invitational. And I remember him. He got eighth. Uh, he went in seated or he, he made the finals. He was in lane eight and I was in lane, I was in lane six and uh, beat him. So that was my, uh-huh. my claim to fame. I can say I beat Michael Phelps. Right. <laughs> but from that point, you knew that this kid was special. And, uh, and of course, you know, the rest is history. He's been the most prolific, you know, athlete, um, you know, known to, to man, arguably the best uh, Olympic athlete of all time. But he does something powerful and he, he dials it in. And again, going back to that whole science of, of small wins, um, in, uh, in in the book uh, the 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 power of habit by Charles um, Duhigg Duhigg yeah exactly talked about this actually he he talked about Michael Phelps and basically he says that Michael Phelps uh, programs into his rhythm into his daily rhythms these small wins where he gets into a lifestyle of winning and everything all these little wins lead up to his race so by the time he he gets behind the block. Um, it's just another small win in right. this whole big momentum. There's so much momentum That's behind so it. That's so powerful. Exactly, yeah. And, it, mm-hmm. and, and it's not just within himself. It's everybody in the world who already, who, they're all going, he's already won it right. too. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. momentum is, has spread yeah. you know, across the globe. Exactly. And I mean, he's reality is all he's winning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, most people would look at it and go, oh my God, look at all the pressure on him. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he has to carry all that pressure because everyone's expecting him to win. But you're flipping it and saying, no, it's actually everybody. He has this huge monsoon of wind behind him where everyone's sort of already said, okay, you're the, you're the guy. Like, just follow through. Right. And, and when people show up to beat him, again, whenever he's on the block, everyone wants to beat him. I mean, let's look at uh, the, the Olympics in Beijing, okay, and the race, uh, the 100 Butterfly. Yeah. That he, that he swam with, with Michael Kavik against right. Michael Kavik, who's also a great guy. Um, he was supposed to lose that race. Right. If you look at how the race, if you look at all the repa, uh, replays, you look at how um, Michael swam his race, perfect to a T. Mm-hmm. Yet that momentum that Michael Phelps had uh, just was undeniable. And he found a way to put his hand on the wall first. 
Right. I mean, that's powerful. <laughs> if it's on YouTube, I'll, I'll post a link to the video of that race. Cause that for, if you, if you're like one of three people on the planet who didn't see it, it yeah. was the one race that he almost lost at that Olympics where he kind of messed up his touch at the end and mm-hmm. Kavik almost nailed him. And when you watch the repeats, you, you really can't tell to the eye who won. Like, right. uh, what was it? Was it a hundredth or a two hundredth of a second or it, something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was something crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But of course he won. So that's yeah, that's amazing. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. So um, let's step back a little bit though, because I want to get kind of into your, in, into your backstory. Um, you know, you were not, uh, you know, out of the gate, nobody would have predicted <laughs> that you were going to be, you know, uh, this very bright, articulate, upwardly mobile uh, champion swimmer. I mean, what, you know, you grew up in Cleveland, yeah? yeah. Yep, the, kind of the I, wrong side of the tracks, and, and <laughs> let's let's hear a little bit about that. Yeah, I I grew up in the inner city of Cleveland, East Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I lived a few blocks away from Case Western Reserves, and for people who know where Case Western Reserve is, it's right outside of downtown, not in a very good neighborhood. Uh, and you know, the the experts said that I would be just another another uh, stat. You know, I. I Again, grew up in the inner city, raised by a, a single black mom. My dad, unfortunately, chose to sell drugs for a living, um, mm-hmm. but ultimately was found tied to his bedpost, shot six times in the head. How old were and you when that? I was, I was six. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget the day that my mom brings me upstairs. And, and by, the, by the way, two weeks before, or I'm sorry, two months before this happened, uh, my mom told my dad to leave, get out of the house because there was just a l- bad elements kept coming into the, around the house. And, um, you know, I, I've talked to her, of course, as an adult and kind of got the backstory on all this. But back then, I just knew that my dad was moving into an apartment two blocks down the street from us. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand why, but as a kid, you're like, all right, I'll just roll with it. And you were a single child. And, uh, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. no, I, I have a sister, a sister. Um, who's uh, six years older than I am. And uh, so that day, I remember I was playing outside with my best friend Lamar, and we were out in the front lawn, and uh, we used to play this. Uh, the, you know, we used to have a, a tennis ball and then a broomstick, and um, we we would we would you know play bat, you know, or you know we would swing the bat. Basically, mm-hmm. um, I would stand by the stairs, or someone would stand by the, stair- the stairs, and um, the other person would throw the tennis ball, and you know you just you bat in practice. Right. So we were we were having batting practice, and. Uh, and I remember my, my mom calling me upstairs, and she sat down. In a, I'll, I'll never forget it. We had this orange, um, like kind of love seat uh, couch that, that 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 we had. She sat down in there. I sat next to her, like kind of right between her legs. And she said, um, "Hey, your uh, your your dad's never coming back." And um, in that moment. I decided, you know, my first response was, you know, okay, I'm, I've become the man of the house. And so my, my verbal response was, we don't need him. We, we don't need him. We, mm-hmm. We'll be fine without him, mom. And no, she says, you don't understand. Um, no, he died. They, the, the police found him and, and someone shot him. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I just froze. I didn't even cry. I just froze. Mm-hmm. And I didn't actually cry until actually a year later. Um, but I just froze, and I didn't know how to respond. And, and then throughout that, that next year, uh, these little mini explosions would happen in my life. And, 
And, uh, and you know, I, my, my stuttering increased like mini explosions, like acting out or yeah, you know, acting out, getting in trouble, getting into trouble, getting into fights. Um, you know, just, just be not being a very pleasant, you know, kid, mm-hmm. uh, and, and all, but I, I just remember that time of being very confused and hating my dad because he left us. He, you know, and, and I carried that chip on my shoulder through high school. Um, that's another thing. Again, uh, they, the, the experts thought that I was going to go down another path, you know, mm-hmm. you know, finding swimming was, was a savior for me. How did that ha- I mean, how did that happen? I mean, you know, it saved your life, yeah, right? It, I mean, swimming, swimming saved my life. I, I credit, I credit the blessing and the gift of, uh, of competitive sports and swimming to really changing the, the angle and, and the, the, the pitch of my life. Um, well, one of the things that my mom did right out of the bat, um, she just became very devoted to getting my sister and I out of the neighborhood and used every excuse to do it. I remember her ca- um, kidnapping my friends and I on the Saturdays, and uh, we would literally uh, go to the art museum. We would go see the Cleveland Orchestra. We would do all of these things um, that, that uh, you know, we, the kids in the hood didn't do. And my mm-hmm. mom found every excuse to keep us out of the hood. And um, I remember the quick story how I fell into the sport of swimming because I literally fell into the sport. Uh, Gray Y, Euclid Y, which was a, um, a, a YMCA that was uh, across town, uh, created this, this program called Gray Y. And it was uh, an initiative to use sports to bridge the gap between, you know, the white poor kids and the black poor kids who used to always fight. And so you would come together in sport, and that's why they call it Gray Y. Mm-hmm. And so we, we uh, started going to this Saturday and Sunday kind of a- activities in sports. And, and there I was introduced to a lot of different sports. Um, the one sport that stuck was swimming. But here's, here's the crazy story real quickly. My friend and I, Lamar, were, were playing, just, we were just goofing off. Um, I, I didn't want to play field hockey and so <laughs> we decided right. to kind of ditch that and just hang out uh, in the Y area. And um, we started playing, uh, you know, we started hitting each other. And so uh, he would hit me and start running around and I would hit him. And so basically I remember hitting Lamar really hard and he gave me that look like I'm going to, if I catch you, I'm going to kill you kind of look. You know, when you play your kid, you <laughs> hit somebody too hard. Well, we started running through the, the YMCA. Well, I run onto the pool deck. I run and I run on the pool pool deck and literally um, almost slipped and fall into the water. At the same time, the coach of the Euclid Y Dragonflies um, comes over to me. I think I'm in trouble. Uh, he starts telling me about how cool and how great swimming is. And uh, I'm sitting here just wondering when the hammer's going to drop. Guy, when the kid's going to show up yeah. and beat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's talking, he's talking, and he's telling me, um, long story short, uh, my mom comes to pick us up. Uh, Jeff Armstrong, the, the coach, ends up talking to my mom about getting me involved in, in swimming. And, uh, and that Monday, I was on the Euclid Y Dragonfly swim uh-huh. team and, uh, and started, started swimming. And that was at age nine. That was, that was when I was nine. And I mean, wow. swimming is such an unlikely, you know, outlet, like, you yeah. know, where, where's football, where's basketball, like why swimming? And, you know, how, yeah. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, were there other black kids on the team? I no. mean, it, was, it, it must've been very unusual. I was, I was always a pioneer at the time. And I could tell you thousands of stories that about <laughs> very funny stories about being black, uh, back in the, uh, the early eighties, 
you know, in a competitive, competitive sports. Yeah, and then going to school and, and feel like you do what? Yeah. You, know, you like, swim and, and believe me, I got it from both sides from, from, from the white kids who didn't, you know, see black swimmers. You know, I was, I was the, I became the authority of everything black. So, so I was, I was the, you know, why do black people do this? Why do black? So that, yeah. so I got, I would get it from that do side. Do you know Cullen Jones? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then on the other side with all my black friends, I would, you know, at this point, being in competitive swimming, I, I disappeared from the neighborhood. And so all my black friends, uh, you know, were like, where are you? What are you doing? And they would call me white boy. And, and because at this time I was going through to a, a speech specialist, a therapist, because again, I stuttered. And when my dad died, I, it, it really came out. That was like a trauma response. A trauma to response that. And also, <laughs> so, uh, you know, my mom and, and the therapist always told me to enunciate and really exaggerate the pronoun, you know, as I pronounced words. So I, all my black friends and people in the neighborhood called me white boy. Mm. And, uh, and so I had it from, from both ends, mm-hmm. but here's the thing. I knew I loved swimming. I knew it because that was, that was my creative zone at back then. I didn't know how far it would take me, but all I knew at that moment, it was a refuge. When I got in the water, um, I was, I was in my playground. I was an element that just was beautiful to me. And, and I also credit swimming for helping me find what my learning style was. You know, back then, um, in addition to stuttering, you know, I was misdiagnosed as having ADD because I couldn't stand, you know, stay still. And, and uh, I'm not the type of learner. I mean, we know now the whole different modalities of learning. We know, audio, uh, you know, if you're auditory or, you know, kinesthetic mm-hmm. or whatever. Back then, I was not, I am to this day, I'm not an auditory learner. If you ask me to sit in a seat and just listen to a professor or, or a teacher for more than 30 minutes, it's done. I'm not going to do I'm it. Not gonna do it. Yeah. It's not going to get in. Um, so as a result, uh, you know, I was kind of disruptive a lot in, in, in school. Well, mm-hmm. swimming, I recognized, wait a minute, if, if you were to demonstrate to me how to do something and then gave me an opportunity to actually do it, I could pick it up like that. I could, I could intuitively pick it up. And, and so, uh, swimming, I realized that's how, I mean, I started to excel, you know, by the first year, um, I was picking up all the different strokes and I made it to the zone, um, you know, made it on the zone team. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, first it was just, you know, swimming fast enough to, to swim in different cities and then different States. And then I was invited to all these different meets and, and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stick with swimming because swimming is getting me, you know, out of the neighborhood. It's expanding your horizons. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to nationals and all these different places, and so I'm going to stick with it. And so I, I credit swimming for, you know, kind of finding my, my ultra sort of thing, kind of right. discovering that this is my, 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 my love zone, my, my, my safe haven. That's well, amazing. it's also, I think, you know, from, you know, my story is a lot different from yours, but, you know, I had certain, you know, sort of adolescent pains or whatever. And, and swimming was always my safe place. It was my, my safe haven. And there's something, you know, about being underwater where, you know, none of that can touch you. You know what I mean? Like you can't hear anything. No one can talk to you and you feel safe. You know, it's almost like this womb like place where you can go and escape, you know, whatever unpleasant, you know, situations sort of, you know, surround you in your life outside the pool. Mm Mm-hmm. And for you to be able to recognize that and like lean into it, I mean, 
It's amazing. It really story. like set amazing. you on a completely different trajectory. Yeah, it did. I mean, do you have friends, you know, f- still from those days back there? I mean, are they still living back there? Or like, do you keep in touch with any of those guys? Well, I've lost since my adulthood and since I've been married and uh, since my grandmother died and my mom moved out to Palm Springs, I haven't been back to the hood, to the, to the neighborhood in over 15 years. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you a story of the last time I was back. Um, I remember walking down the street. It was, it, was, uh, it was in December. It was snow. I was smelling the, you know, just the, 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 just the whole Cleveland vibe. It was beautiful. Um, just kind of walk, reminiscing through the hood. All of a sudden, I feel this thump. You know, this car approaching me and, um, and, and somebody, you know, music was, was just bumping, the bass, the bass the, was yeah. happening. <laughs> and, and then I'm realizing, wait a minute, I'm in the hood and I haven't been here. People don't know who I am. Uh-huh. So I get a little nervous that this car is creeping. It, 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 you could tell, I could feel that this car was, I mean, they were looking at me. Mm-hmm. So the car rolls up. And then all of a sudden the car rolls just right past me. And, uh, in, it, when, when you grow up in the hood, you you learn that when you're you're in the, the city, you never you, you don't walk on the sidewalk. You never walk on the sidewalk. You always walk in the street. And the reason why you, <laughs> you it's like instinct. You really you walk in the street, not because you know you want to just hold up traffic, but that's the that's the best shot at you of you running if something breaks out. You know, if you're on the sidewalk, somebody can wow. come and jump you or you know pull you in the, in a in a uh, alley or something. You just learn to walk in the street. So, you know, instinct kicked in. I'm walking in the street. All of a sudden, um, the car pulls up, and then it just kind of pulls, and it stops right in front of me. Just kind of, I mean, literally, it doesn't uh, go by me. It just it, it turns, and now I have to purposely walk onto the sidewalk to walk around it. Mm-hmm. And so I realized, oh, hold on. So I stop, and then the, the windows roll down, and I'm thinking, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, it was it was <laughs> a good friend of mine. Uh, we called him Deke, um, and I won't give his real name. But we he rolls down and he says, "Man, why?" Are, he says, "You are crazy. Why are you walking in, in you know in the, in the in the hood like this? You could get shot." And then I'm like, "Okay." And all of a sudden, now you know I'm I'm like uh, in my twenties now, and and we're all grown, and I see Deke for the first time in ages. And I put two and two together. Deke is now, you know, the head guy in the neighborhood. He's 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 a drug <laughs> oh, wow. dealer, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's he's like he owns this, and he's like, um, man. You, but he's your boy. He's like, my boy. Yeah. He's my boy. So I'm safe. He's my boy. He's like he's like all right. He says, yeah, yeah. You would have you you almost got shot. <laughs> 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 and uh, and the funny thing, and he wow. says, all right. He says, but don't worry, man. I got your back. And uh, he says, if if someone if someone bothers you, tell him you know me. And then right. he drives off. Wow. And so that was <laughs> that was my last experience in the hood. Um, That's heavy. Yeah. And then what about the coach from that YMCA? Oh, Jeff Armstrong. Now it's so so funny, and this is this is the beauty about um, I forget the poem, but basically it's it's ah uh, oh, I wish I, I wish I had it. Um, uh, the 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 poem basically it, it talks about you know we all have to manifest our own greatness. Because when we do, the last part of the last sentence of the poem, when we do, um, we give other people permission to do the same thing. Um, I just butchered that, but, but you mm-hmm. get it. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the beautiful thing. Um, all the while, Jeff was one of those voices in my life uh, that just always, always encouraged me. In fact, there were times where my mom, 
um, holding down two jobs and going back to school to be a registered nurse, she was like, we can't swim this season. Jeff would step up to the plate, drive all the way to East Cleveland, pick me up and take me to practice. Wow. A phenomenal guy in my life. Any case, um, uh, you know, he writes me a letter. I'm an adult now, right? I'm an adult. Uh, Annette and I, we, we have our, our first son. This is right after the 2000 Olympic Games. I get a letter from Jeff Armstrong, and he writes me this long letter, and uh, I ended up calling him, and we talk over the phone, and he says, Byron, you know, you really inspired me to get my life together. And I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, you know, um, you came into my life at, uh, you know, at, at just the right time, and then to see you know, how you, you progressed, it, it just really inspired me that I had no excuse. And so I didn't know this at the time, but, you know, he was just kind of making, you know, doing his thing, um, had a, a very, I forget what, what job he had, but it didn't pay a lot. But um, at, on a whim, he decided to be a volunteer coach at the Y and our, our, our paths crossed. He followed my career. He encouraged me. He invested a lot in me. But um, once I graduated and went off to UCLA and um, after the Olympic trials in 96, that inspired him to go back to school. And uh, he got his degree. And at that time, when he wrote this letter, he was running for um, a, a public office in, mm-hmm. in uh, uh, some town in Pennsylvania. Wow. So he was, I mean, he had, you know, really just turned his life around. And, and it humbled me to, to know that, wow, um, you know, I didn't set out to do that. I didn't know I had that in, impact. And he was feeding me. I, you know, right. he was a he was the guy I looked to and, and all. But at the same time, when we decide to to live our best self and we decide to live our our our, our own epic life, so to speak, um, you never know how that's going to impact people. And so, when when he wrote and and he we we talked and he shared that with me, that was just a very special, beautiful, humbling. A moment in my life. Right. And and at the same time, when you're in service to another person in the way that he was to you so selflessly and mm-hmm. amazingly, um, he ends up benefiting from that as well. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. In the, you, you know, you, when you're in that, in that service mode and you're giving, you ultimately end up, you know, reaping the most, Yeah, you know, it's, that's an amazing story. Yeah. I mean, just like um, what, what does Mark Twain um, says? He says, how can you, Hand wash a piece a piece of clothing without you know cleaning your own hands in the process. Right. Oh. You know it's it's the it's the same thing. Right. And and it's like when 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 we serve, and we do it out of a pure heart, and we do it because uh, that's the value we bring to the world. You know our our gift. I mean, all of us have gifts and talents, and and when we decide to to give it away. That's when our talents um, and strengths become service to people. Mm-hmm. That's when, you know, not only are we adding value, it, it naturally comes back on you. You just, you just, you know, you, it just happens. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's almost universal law. Right. That's the way it, it yeah. operates. Can you tell us a little bit about how those experiences and your experiences losing your dad as a child and, you know, all, all of what you've just shared have shaped the way you are as a father and tell us about your beautiful family and your incredible children. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I definitely feel that, um, that I've been blessed in um, way beyond what I deserve. My, my wife, of course, um, Annette Davis, uh, she was, uh, you know, uh, NC2A champion in volleyball, uh, made the Olympic team. I definitely married up 
I always say that. I always say that. There's, you know, you I feel, got to. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a rock star when, when she wears heels, she towers over me. So we'll go to places, and, and I know people think, oh, how did this guy get her? You know, so that, that's always cool. I don't think. But, I don't uh, think so. You, but, you, yeah. you guys are pretty much a yeah. gorgeous but, family, yeah, all but, four of you. Yeah, and, and but she, she's just she's been the anchor in, in our family, and we have two beautiful kids, um, uh, Maya, my 11 year old, and and I have a daughter, uh, Tori, Victoria, who's uh, who's six actually, and um, she'll be turning seven soon, and. Um, just beautiful family, and we we ended up homeschooling. We homeschool now, and mm-hmm. uh, again, that's very unconventional for the typical African American. That's right. <laughs> well, right. Annette's you know. been my inspiration, and yeah. she helped us greatly when we when we took the. No, and your kids are oh, yeah. amazing. I mean, they're, they're so poised and present, and you know, I mean, it's very obvious that. Uh, you know they're in good hands. They're yeah. remarkable beings. We, we we have a lot of fun. We have mm-hmm. a lot of fun at the house, and. Um, my my son is challenging me now. He's very he's very creative, and uh, he has an entrepreneurial spirit. And so it's it's cool to see how all this stuff is is just kind of working its way out in his personality and and his perspective because he's very methodical at that as well. He's not, and it, it kind of breaks my heart, but I love it. I'm not the kind of dad who's like ah he has to be an athlete or has to swim. Um, but you know, secretly I'm I'm wishing that he would embrace his uh, his athletic genes. But he he doesn't care. It never works. It never works that way. No, no. no. Hold on, I gotta go to the bathroom. Keep talking. (laughs) Is is this happening? Is this is this allowed on the podcast? I don't know. We're just keeping it real. Rich Roll has left his own podcast. Yeah, he's left the building. Now we can really talk. Yeah. but he he definitely my my son right now is um is is definitely exploring his creative side. He he has already written uh, three books. Three, three novels. Um, he has. Uh, I mean, he's developing these these characters, and he's uh, he, he loves to sketch and draw. And he has these cartoon characters. And the, the Legend of Zano is a book that I that that he wrote. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, and, and and actually, the stories are really cool. Very, very cool. Um, and and so he's really exploring that. And, and my daughter also. She's very athletic. She has athletic genes, but she doesn't care about. Athletics, competitive <laughs> athletics. She loves dancing. She loves doing things. Again, she's really competitive. Meaning, mm-hmm. uh, we get one of the little tricks that I play on her all the time. I love it, um, and I, it's going to break my heart when she when she catches mm-hmm. on. But we'll be walking just somewhere random, and all I have to do is start running. Yeah, and she could be totally distracted, and then once she sees me running, she starts running just to beat me. You know, uh-huh. it, it just uh, she doesn't know where the finish line is. She doesn't know why we're doing it. She just knows she has to win. So great. So she she's that way. But both Maya and Victoria have been been huge blessings, and it's really cool. And and Julie, you can re- relate to this. Uh, you start to see as they as 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 our kids start to really discover who they are and start to um, to to really demonstrate and express uh, the, the 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 layers and dimensions of their character. And all you, you see these 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 little bursts of genius that take place, and and they're teaching you, and they're 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 inspiring you, just in 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 how they exist and how they play, and and that's what's going on right now in our household. Um, I'm seeing my my son and my daughter approach challenges and approach uh, problems and are solving them, and it inspires me, and and I I take those lessons and weave them into. 
uh, stuff that, that, that I write about or that I use in my coaching sessions, you know, because, but, but I'm learning it. And I, I don't tell people that I'm learning it. The cat's out of the bag now. <laughs> right, you told people. No, <laughs> told you people told now. people. But that, that I'm, I'm learning it through the way that my, my daughter approaches creative problem solving. And then the, the way that my, my son just methodically learns how to translate and kind of um, reverse engineers how to do things. Right. Uh, it's, 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 been a, it's been a cool season right now in, in our lives, in, mm. in the Davis household. That's amazing. Well, what, I, you guys, what I miss, I'm back. We were talking about his beautiful family. So you, uh, you missed the, the greatest part. No, good. he's talking about how, you know, just how intuitive and, and, and tuned in and really connected, you know, his children are and, and mm. children are and how uh, they have their own process. And he's actually learning from their process his own Mm-hmm. His own uh, uh, upgrades to his creative coaching program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> so, But we have that same thing with Mathis because you know Mathis and Jaya they actually have Rich's physiology and it's it's of an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, it just is. And Mathis, um, uh, you know, we homeschool, and her PE choice, uh, one of her PE choices last year was um, to swim with his old monofin. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the monofin well, is, she, is like, like being huge. a mermaid. Right. But it's she, easily like, it's, it's a yeah. big one. It's not like the new, it, well, it's a big one. It's a, it's a big wide finned one. And so she would strap that thing on her feet. And she's been doing it for a couple of years, but she could actually swim. You know, our, our pool is 75 feet long and she could easily do half the pool underwater. Like she's, mm-hmm. she's, she could be really good, but and she's got the she underwater will not, Dave Burkhoff dolphin. Yeah. She does. Wow. But she will not go to a swim team. Mm-hmm. She will not go to a swim class. Um, you know, we try every once in a while we think, you know, and she just, she will not do it. And actually she went ocean, ocean swimming, with my friend Heather, who actually also swims with a mermaid fin out at Point Doom at Paradise Cove. Oh. And she, you know, she booked it all the way to the, you know, the kelp bed, which is pretty far. Wow. You know? Yeah. And she was fine with this fin. So anyway, yeah. I got to get her a new one. It broke, but we've got to get her a new one. Yeah. yeah. And she's all about that. But, we, you know. Martial arts. We got to get her in martial arts. Yeah. MMA. You know, just, like I just don't think she's doing any any you know structured kind of program. She's yeah. very very free and very creative and always making up her own way. And we'll see. So um, we'll see. Well, just just on that note too, you know who who inspires me and gives me hope with this <laughs> with this thing. If if Maya and Victoria aren't going to be the, the the traditional you know organized sports athlete, um, uh, Laird Hamilton. Oh. Um, you guys had uh, um, Gabby mm-hmm. on the show, but uh, but he's one of those guys who totally does not. I mean, he he made a conscious choice not to be a competitive surfer. He was more. He's taken the artistic, you know, right. adventure explorer, you know, track. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. of of and it's like um, just just the, the the sheer expression and the transformation and the the personal discovery. All of, I mean, to him, all of that is, is the, the, those are the prizes. And, and as a result, he continues to push himself and then push the, the envelope on and reinvent the sport and take it to new levels. And, and I think that's what happens. I think the, 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 the creatives in, in whatever endeavor, in whatever discipline, whether it be in sports or business or whatever, those who embrace their, their, their thirst for creativity and expression, I think are the ones who are the game changers. They're the ones right. who are going to change the way we do things in life. So, 
you know, I'm thinking, okay, my son and my daughter, they're, they're going to be game changers maybe one day. Yeah. Yes, it's absolutely. like, uh, it's like that new Seth Godin book, the Icarus yeah. effect or yeah. whatever. Have you read that yet or yeah. check that out? So yeah. it's the same thing. It's about, um, you know, sort of, uh, uh, transcending, you know, the, the, the traditional business structure and dronedom and all of that mm-hmm. and embracing, you know, the creativity and independent thinking uh, yeah. within that construct to push the envelope and take enterprises to the next level. And no, we and need more people like that. I mean, that. what we're missing is creativity and creativity is what is going to um, pull us up yeah. and, you know, really allow us to rise to a new level. And so, you know, I think, it's becoming more and more aware that the school systems and what's out there and what it's basically perpetuating are, you know, professional uh, educators and educated in what, you know, and it's, and, and how does that apply to life? And so, you know, I will always support creativity, you know, above anything else because I trust in the greater design that mm-hmm. each being has a genius inside of it, yeah. every single one. Mm-hmm. So if we approach children or all of us with awe and wonder of show me who you are and show me how you were made and what you have to express, then we will all benefit from that mm. to a great degree. And, you know, I have to thank you and Annette for, you know, really holding this vibration of excellence in the homeschooling category mm. Because when I really wanted to do it and Rich was having a lot of discomfort, you guys were really catalyst and allowing us to feel safe making that step. And, um, you know, Annette really helped me because, you know, she, a lot of people think, oh, you homeschool. Wow, you're so organized. And they immediately flash to a classroom set up in your house with a blackboard and chairs and a pointer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, you know, Rich was like, you can't, you can't homeschool. You're not organized or you're, you know, you're too creative. You're too flow, you know. And then, you know, Annette reminded us that, you know, if you're homeschooling, you're, you're, you're going outside of that construct. Mm-hmm. Like if your child does well in that, then, you know, leave them in school. But if you're homeschooling, it's really sort of an open book. And I'm sort of probably more on the other end of the spectrum because, you know, what I'm really doing is unschooling. Mm-hmm. So it's, a mu- it's even, you know, it's even sort of more free. Like our, you know, our experience, life provided the experience yesterday, and that is that we you know, we came upon a barn owl that had just uh, died somehow, we don't know how. Mm -hmm. And we made the decision that we would, um, you know, examine it and measure the wingspan and, you know, look at it up close. And then we um, actually made the decision to um, remove the wings and the girls dug a grave and they did a prayer and a ceremony and they offered the body back into the earth and we have the fans, which are sage fans, you know, and in, in the Native American tradition, that's a very sacred thing. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, so we, that was our experience of, of, of unschooling yesterday. And, um, you know, it was, it was inspiring and meaningful for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's beautiful. Um, one of the things that I think society's catching up and, and Stanford's actually leading the way they, they, they've embraced the homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Process. They have a curriculum. Yay, Stanford! Uh, yeah, they, I mean, it's amazing how many Stanford courses you can do through yeah. you know iTunes U or whatever. And, yeah. and, that are available online, and uh, it's it's powerful. They're, they're finding out that uh, we we are in, and we all know this. Uh, we're we're in an uncertain world, and our economy is constantly changing. Business is changing um, with new technology and and how we interact and engage each other. Everything's changing. Um, the, the, the people who are able to 
take peace in the pocket, really embrace ambiguity and, and are confident in, in how, you know, they're both, their, their cerebral, you know, um, executive brain meshes with, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the amygdala and the, mm-hmm. the primal instinct of us, how all those things really work together to, to really drive us to new creation. Those are, those are the, the people who are, again, uh, changing the game. They're the ones that we're looking to now for direction. They're the ones who are solving problems and are coming up with the solutions that, uh, that are helping, helping us, you know, set new courses in today's society. And, and uh, schools uh, are uh, people, uh, there's enough momentum out there where people are recognizing that's how we need to, to really engage our kids. That's how we need to prepare them. We need to teach them how to think, dream, and create, um, how, to, how to collaborate collectively as a, as a creative unit, but at the same time, not sacrifice your own individuality and, and, and the, the uniqueness you bring to the table. And when, when you, we work in environments, dynamic environments like that, that's when beautiful and magical things happen. And we see it all the time. We're seeing it right now uh, in, in different you know, breakthroughs in technology. And, and that's what excites me. That's, mm-hmm. that's what excites me about the state that we're in at this point. Um, I mean, again, it's, it's a tough economy and we're, we're all struggling and we're all trying to figure it out. But my, but the hope that I have is is that we are figuring it out, and and there are people who who decide to embrace their their ability to combine their creativity with a definiteness of purpose and, and spirit, this resolve um, that that makes them unstoppable. That 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 we come to new breakthroughs and new solutions. Right. It's all about living your epic life. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about that. So <laughs> before we get into yeah. that, I'm going to have to say goodbye right okay. now. So anyway, it uh, was be- so beautiful seeing you. Please give my love <clears throat> to your family. And I want to be a part of an epic program and I want to work with you. And so I'm going to be calling yeah. with all the other listeners. Uh, awesome. Right. Here, so, let me give you a hug. Take care. Take care. All, right. all right, babe. See you in a while. Um, so, uh, live your epic life, which is Byron's website and his program. So I want to talk a little bit about what, what that's all about. Like, you know, what is it? How do you get involved? What are you going to get out of it? Well, uh, live your epic life, uh, live your epic life.com is a ongoing experiment in the realm of, uh, of infinite possibility. Uh-huh. If I can give it, uh, any more of a vague response, basically in a nutshell is, um, I want I want to empower and challenge people to uh, live their legend and ultimately leave leave a legacy. You know, where did this desire to try to empower people come from? I mean, is this as a result of we didn't even talk about this, but you you have a background as a pastor, and you obviously mm-hmm. have this you know this this past that informed all of this kind of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, where is this drive coming from? I think. I think for initially it, it, it just comes from um, the the conviction and belief that uh, you know I truly believe that God didn't make a mistake when He made us. You know, I uh, and all of us are are uniquely gifted with a gift mix of stuff uh, that that will then allow us to to bring and create new valuable you know value added contributions to this world. I, I definitely believe that. I truly believe that. And if I look back, or when I look back on my life, and I see there's a common thread and theme, no matter where life took me and what season I was in or what job I, I did, uh, the common denominator was always me wanting to 
get the best out of myself and the most out of my life, really tinker, kind of be my own, you know, I always say I'm in constant beta, you know, mm-hmm. we're all in constant beta mode. So really, really trying to get the best out of myself. And when things didn't work out, really going inward and examining, okay, what was the inner breakdown? So always being a student of human dynamics and my, just my own performance and trying to get the best out of myself. And then two, uh, even more so feeling even greater satisfaction when, when I inspired or empowered or challenged someone else to do it. So um, I was always a, a better relay swimmer than I was an individual swimmer mm-hmm. or in individual races. Be- not, not because, uh, you know, I just, you know, I didn't like to swim individual races. I just, it was something about being a part of that team, that, that, that team dynamic that allowed, uh, just made, just got me more excited mm-hmm. about doing whatever it is we were doing. So I've always, I've always enjoyed coming alongside people who had a desire to, to experiment and transform. And, uh, and so that was a constant theme in my life. And I reached a season in my life, Rich, where now that's what I want to do for the rest of my life is I, I want to constantly uh, explore and, and experiment and, uh, and really embrace this, this transformation process for myself but then also work with other people who have and share the same kind of conviction. Right. And so what, uh, for somebody who is interested in exploring this, you know, what are they in for? Okay. Well, I, I, um, without trying to say that I have this, you know, uh, four step program. Here's the four steps to- <laughs> that you could get, but, but I do, I think, I think there is a methodology behind, um, behind transformation and growth and, and how to lean into it and, and embrace it. Um, basically I believe the, the, the knack for us when, when, when we study great performers, I call them high impact people. When we study high impact people, no matter, uh, what discipline or industry or sport, you know, we, we see that, that they intuitively do three things very well. Um, they, they see what they want clearly. They learn to express what they want fully. And here's the, the, the third one that, that most of us miss. They learn how to let their obstacles lead the way. You know, I call it uh, illumination, seeing what you want clearly, uh, animation, expressing what you want fully, and then iteration, allowing to, uh, to let your obstacles actually lead the way. What, is that, how, what does that mean, allowing your obstacles lead the way? Um, Buck, Buckminster Fuller, great mathematician. Sure. He um, keeps coming up on he, the podcast. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's like the third time That's Buckminster awesome. Fuller has come up. And- That's awesome. You know, he says a, a problem well defined is a problem well on its way to being solved. Uh, when, when we allow our obstacles to lead the way, we learn to embrace obstacles and setbacks and roadblocks, um, not in the way of, uh, of fatalism, meaning, you know, that's it, I'm done, but more so recognize that that, that roadblock, you know, is asking for us to respond to the situation in a different way. And when you fully understand it, like you can identify, like this is, this is exactly what's holding me back, this particular roadblock, as opposed to like, I don't know why I can't move forward, like not knowing, but when you know exactly what it is, then that's the first step towards trying to come up with the solution to attack and, and, and overcome it. Yeah. The, the roadblock is telling you what to do next. Your immediate right. next move is to, is to, is to move around the roadblock. It's like this. It's like if we, um, we're we're in a, a dark room and we we wake up and we we're, let's say we're in a hotel. I'm making this up. We're in a hotel room, dark and all, but we we want to go to the bathroom. Well, we get up out of the bed. Number one, we never question whether or not we're going to get to the bathroom, right? But it's dark. We can't see a thing. 
what do we do? We stumble our way to the bathroom, right? We, we kind of walk and we, we see where, uh, we kind of feel where the end table is. We kind of notice our, our hand on the wall. All of a sudden, these little obstacles uh, start to actually create, when we weave them together, a reliable roadmap that brings us to our destination. Mm-hmm. That's what obstacles and challenges do in our life is that they, they are not roadblocks, but if we know how to use them right, they become reliable very pragmatic roadmaps to really giving us what it is we want, the result that we want. Right. So, uh, all right. So you have these three things, these sort of cornerstone principles to your program. And is this, is this like an online program or is this, a, do you do personal coaching? Like explain to me exactly, you know, what it is that, that, that this all entails. Yeah. There, there are, there are three different kind of road um, on ramps to this road. And, and again, um, I call these, these three things rhythms. Uh, what I do in a nutshell is I help people uh, practice these three rhythms in their life, practice uh, illumination, animation, and iteration um, as it relates to their desired outcome. And um, one, the, you can, there's a lot of free resources on the blog, liveyourepiclife.com. That has evolved over the last six months, especially um, doing a, uh, you know, a lot of interview of experts, but then also diving deep on each of these things. So they, that's the first step. The first on-ramp is just uh, hanging out at the blog. Uh, there's a, um, a life planning guide that I, that I give away. Uh, basically, it's your epic life plan, and it's a step-by-step mm-hmm. guide that helps people get clear about what, what they, the kind of results they want in each area of their life. And then how do you create a narrative or a story that you can now step into uh, in order to live that, that life out? Right. And so, so, so that's, that's the first step. And then, um, it goes all the way up. People, uh, we, we just launched, um, in fact, this, the, the doors are closed for this. We just actually launched, uh, the, the Unstoppable You Bootcamp today. Um, uh, we'll, we'll open that up, um, in the, in the spring again. But, um, that's where I take a small group of people, uh, through a process of, of really embedding these rhythms in the context of their life. Right. Um, how do we, how do we really start to, uh, see what we want clearly. And I, I'm going to go off on a tangent a little bit. What I mean by that, seeing what it is you want clearly, I mean, and we've all experienced this intuitively. Um, all we have to do is really analyze when we've succeeded at something. Uh, you can see these these components. When we, when we learn to see something clearly, what we've learned to do intuitively or, or by design is translate a future desired outcome into its present day equivalent or present day approach to doing life. You know, if, if I set out to lose 60 pounds in the next 90 days or whatever, um, 90 or 60 pounds lost, you know, three, uh, three months from now looks completely different in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And it's when you start to, to see, well, losing weight, 90 pounds lost three months from now looks like um, you know, uh, you know, a, a new uh, you know, type of diet, um, you know, a restrictive calorie, uh, a high nutrient, low calorie diet, um, uh, being able to, to engage in exercise that allows us to, um, uh, again, expend more energy than we're, we're taking in, and then the proper rest and, and, and fluid intake of water, mm-hmm. you know, not drinking our calories. And I'm, I'm being generic in, in the, 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 the whole description. But well, once we start to, to map out what the desired outcome looks like in our present day approach to doing life, that's when we see what it is we want clearly. And then we're able to express what we want fully, 
Now we have the plan. We have the roadmap. We know what we need to do. Now we can now give ourselves, our, we can animate, we can express ourselves through um, engaging in those activities. You know, I always say that, that discipline, my definition of discipline is demonstrating a clear decision on a daily basis. Once you see what it is you want clearly, now all you do is, is demonstrate that decision on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. That's expressing fully. And then throughout the way, your plans, our plans, no matter how well thought out they are, they're never perfect. They, they have to be modified. They have to right. be adjusted. There are so many variables in, in life that we can't account for. Many times, we, we're going to have to, to make mid-course corrections along the way. And so that's where the, the ability to, to iterate on the fly um, and incorporate that into your rhythm, your lifestyle, that's where the magic happens because that's when you become unstoppable. Right. But, it, but essentially what you're saying is you've, you, you're creating a calculus and a methodology for transformation and breaking it down into components that are digestible and understandable and rooting somebody in the present and in accordance to a plan to get somebody where they want to go. Right. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> because yeah, that's it, great. Well, I mean, what do you think? What do you think is the like the primary thing that holds people back? I mean, it's so you know, I say this all the time, but you know, people uh, people say, oh, you, you know, people don't change. They don't change, and it's like, yeah, they do. You can change. You know, it's not easy, mm-hmm. and you know, usually pain is the the motivator. <laughs> you know, when your back is up against the wall and yep. you have and you have no other choice, then yeah. you then you can change. But how do you you know? But but willfully and voluntarily changing to grow and expand is is you know it's it's the big challenge that you know everybody wants and people just struggle with the most and you know what do you think is holding people back? Well, of course, you know the 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 proverbial and the the popular answer is fear. You know we, mm-hmm. we're we're all afraid at some level, um, but but let's let's just kind of dissect that a little bit. Um, I, I don't think it's really the fear that that we that holds us back. I think it's it's finding out the truth that really holds us back. I think all of us at certain points in our life uh, we have a romantic vision of how things are to play out, and whenever we want to embark on something uh, something that we've never done before. We automatically have this again. We have a vision or this 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 idea of the way things should be, and whenever we start to now pursue that, we start to to recognize and experience the way things are. And when the way things are don't immediately match up to the way things should be, all of a sudden we we get uncomfortable. We get mm-hmm. disappointment. That's when doubt, discouragement, distraction, all these things start to flood into our life. And uh, we end up protecting that, that, that idea in our head, and, and, and it's safe there. Again, it's safe there, we control it, and we fall in love with the idea of doing something unique, something great, something exciting, um, but we're not willing to go through the process of wrestling through the way things are uh, you know, as we manifest or as we start to bring that into volition. So, so I, I definitely believe that fear is a factor, but we can use fear as a tool. Like mm-hmm. you said, fear is a gift. I said that earlier. Fear is a gift. And so it's not about being afraid of something. Embrace it. Yeah, everyone's going to be afraid the first time and the first few times we try things. 
Everyone's going to fail. The first times, the, the few times we, we, we try things. Failure is a part of the process. So let's, let's retool fear into excitement. Let's start focusing on, on, on instead of anticipating that, that negative outcome, oh, you know what? I'm finding evidence that what I think should happen isn't going to happen, so I'm going to stop. Mm-hmm. No, let's start, you know what? I get a clear picture of what could happen. But I'm not going to own that. I'm not going to. I have no control over that. But what I do have control over is doing what I can with what I have right where I am and then allowing the process to unfold, knowing that I will be able to solve the problem as it comes about. And so we embrace the, 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 we embrace the journey and, uh, and really accept our, our present state of reality. When, when we can get comfortable in embracing the moment embracing, you know, challenges as they come, then we start to build that whole winner's momentum. Right. Uh, we start to recognize that, you know what, I can solve that problem. Oh, you know what, I, yeah, there's a resource that I've always taken for granted or I've ignored that's right in front of me. Let me use this. And, uh, and pretty soon we find ourselves uh, being catapulted into or across the finish line with, with our desired outcome. Right. I think that, but I think sort of getting at, a, at the fundamental kind of starting line of the whole thing, in order to trigger that excitement or to even come up with any kind of trajectory, you need to know what you want. Like, what is it that you want? And I think that a lot of people don't know, mm-hmm. you know, and then, the, and then they're ashamed that they don't know. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that, that say, I don't even know what I want to be when I grow up, or I don't even well, know. Well, like I know I'm not satisfied, but but you know, if I had to pick my ultimate career, I don't even know what that what that is. And then they feel bad because they they think they should know, and and there's a there's sort of a disassociation, yeah, from the self. Well, let, let's let's call the big elephant in the room out here. You know, really, you know, what's wrong with not knowing? That you know, right. we again, I think our in our Western culture, we we learn. And it becomes ingrained in us that we have to have the solution or the answer before we begin. And, uh, but yet life doesn't play out that way. And so if, if you're starting at a point where you really don't know, well, then that's the first obstacle. What can we learn from it? Well, let's explore what the possibilities and the opportunities that are available that then start to resonate with, with your strengths and your passions. And also, so the first step in most people, uh, you know, the first step that most people have to go through is stepping into a discovery process. Robert Greene in his book, he just came out with it, Mastery, uh, talks about, you know, there's there's a a phase of apprenticeship that every master goes through. And, uh, and, And if you if you ignore this apprenticeship process, then you keep yourself stuck in not really discovering and then therefore honing what your passions are because mm-hmm. having a passion is not going to pay the bills. <laughs> you right. Know? But then it's, even, it's, but taking it a step backwards, some people don't even know what they're passionate about. Well, and and I think a lot of that is because we're so, we're, you know, everything is so cheap right now. It's mm-hmm. so easy to buy distractions. So, you know, every, everybody's watching TV and playing video games and, you know, staring at their cell phones and we're, you know, we're, we are almost by design, you know, in this constant state of distraction from ourselves. And I think when we're, when that's perpetuated, 
we we do get into this disassociated so, state of being where it's yeah. like I don't even know what I'm passionate about. I mean, there's a and lot of people walking around like like yeah. You say, well, embrace your passion. Well, like, well, how do I even know what I'm passionate about? Well, and and that's where the whole apprenticeship process comes in. Um, I, I call it allowing yourself, giving yourself room to play and experiment. Most of us, most of the time, because we we pack our lives with all these distractions. Um, as, as you, um, you know, eloquently pointed out, I think that's so true that we fool ourselves into thinking we don't have enough time to play and experiment. It's only when we allow ourselves the room, the space to become an apprentice to allow, even as an, it gets harder as, as an adult, as we get older and we move into, and we operate in this professional zone, you know, the older we get, the more we're supposed to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so the more we, we like to hide the fact that we really don't know what's going on, you know? (laughs) So it's, it's easy. We, we get into that momentum. We get into that mindset that then keeps us stuck. What we have to do is, is learn to embrace the apprenticeship mindset and Technology and the resources that are available to us at our fingertips, we can have virtual mentors and and create our own apprenticeship, you know, instantly. All we have right. to do, and this is the key, this is how you discover your passion. Okay, even if you don't know what your passion is, here's how you discover your passion. Allow yourself to care more than normal and more than necessary about an activity. And, and then when you, when, you, when you allow yourself to care more than normal about something and more than necessary, you start to move out of the realm of being your average self. Mm-hmm. You start to step into that, that, um, that fanatical realm of let me really explore and, and really chase this rabbit hole to see how far it really goes. When you, when, and all, and all, all, it has to, all we have to begin doing is just caring about it more. Than, than, than the average person. And what that does is start to unfold. You'll find out very quickly whether or not something grabs your heart or resonates with you or not. You'll find mm-hmm. it. And if it doesn't, cool. Guess what? You move on to something else. And if, if that doesn't work, great. You move on to something else. The value in that discovery process is that, um, again, God doesn't waste time in our lives. Whatever process we go through, we will discover something that leads us to ultimately what it is we really want. But we've got to be willing to, to move down that process. We've got to be willing to be an apprentice. And, uh, and then I, w- I would also add to that, um, many people say, in fact, a guy that I was coaching uh, said something that was just authentic. He asked this question in just very, very pure um, innocence. He says, Byron, what if you desire to do something that you really don't believe you can do? You really don't, you don't have the confidence. You don't believe that you can actually do it. And uh, it was a great question. And, um, you know, the, the short answer is this. You, you learn how to, number one, discount your own voice in the process. Okay, that, that's, that's right. step one. Because you really, you, you really don't have the authority or the credibility to, to make that judgment, to make that judgment because you failed at it so far, you haven't done it, <laughs> <laughs> so you can't you can't make that judgment. So logically, um, if you were to you know if you wanted to know something about you know financial investing and you wanted you had an opportunity to learn under Warren Buffett or learn under someone who's tried really hard but hasn't gotten the results you want, who would you choose? Warren Buffett, right? Right. You would want to do that. So in this case, in this scenario, when when you really realize that I don't know how to do something and I don't really think I can. You've got to recognize in that moment that you're not the Warren Buffett in the situation. You are the other person. 
And you're not in a place to even objectively judge whether you can or cannot do that. Exactly. Exactly. So why be unfair to yourself in that? And the second step is, so once you acknowledge that, you know what, I've got to discount my own, my own judgment, my own belief in this situation. Um, the second step then is to submit yourself under, uh, become obedient to a proven process. So now you have to now um, give your trust and your faith over to a, a proven process. So that's when you seek out, you know, who's doing this, who's gotten the results that you right, need to get. Right, if you get. think, well, I'm not musically inclined, I have no musical talent, I'll never be able to play the, the piano mm-hmm. or whatever. And then saying, well, I'm going to go to this teacher and I will apprentice to this person who has taught many people how to play the piano. It's a proven procedure and process that I can undertake. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and we know this as athletes, you know, there comes a point where we have to buy into the culture and the methodology of the program we're in. If we don't, if we don't buy into um, how the coach is preparing us, uh, then we'll second guess our preparation and then we'll lose all confidence in our ability. Right. There comes a point where you have to give your trust over to the process. You have to fall in love with the process. You have to give your heart to the process. Again, you've got to care more than normal and more than necessary. And then what you, what, what takes place is you suspend your disbelief long enough that you then invite new experiences that give you better results from which you can then base better and stronger beliefs on. So right. your beliefs ultimately will catch up to your experience. And that's where confidence comes from. And it all goes back to trying to propel some of this momentum that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm not an advocate of, you know, just pump yourself up and muster up enough, you know, confidence to do something. No. Well, that's, it rings false. Yeah. It's sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not backed up by anything. It's sort of, right. pre- it's pretending. Yeah. Become, uh, allow yourself to embrace, um, you know, it's like this. So when I, when I speak to athletes and I go out and, and, and talk, I, I say, you know, at times you will not be confident. Okay recognize that, embrace it. Don't be surprised if and when it happens. Confidence has very little to do with your capability of actually doing it, making Mm -hmm. it happen. Um, In that moment, don't worry about not being confident. Allow yourself to be curious. Okay. We can all be curious. We can all allow ourselves to go into a moment, uh, into a situation where we don't know the answer. We acknowledge we don't know the answer, but, but we all can embrace that and be very curious. And when we're curious, it's just like a kid. When you're curious about something, you put on the hat of a professor. You, your awareness um, and, and all of, of your, your, your energy, your brain power starts to become acutely aware of scenarios, of patterns, of, um, of, of little answers. All these things start to now come at you when you decide to be curious. You, you invite enough room to create experiences that then you can start to stack up that will become your confidence. Right. So, so you don't have to be confident. You don't have to believe you can do something in order to do it. Just allow yourself to be curious enough to, to, to move through that, that moment in that period of ambiguity and then allow the small incremental results you get to dictate your mid-course corrections so that ultimately you will cross the finish line. Right. And that, that confidence will come as a result of that. It's sort of, sort of yeah. like acting as if it's like, I don't believe this is going to work, but I'm going to show up and do it anyway. And right. then, and then over time, you know, the sort of, uh, objective feedback becomes mm-hmm. undeniable that, oh, actually I can do this or, yeah. you know, I proved myself wrong. And, 
And I always talk about this too. It's sort of understanding that, you know, your mind is not always your friend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it's firing signals off saying you can't, or, you know, I stink, or I'll never be good or whatever, those are just messages and that you have a choice. Like your higher self has a choice to give those credence Mm -hmm. or to dismiss them and say, hey, that's interesting that my brain is trying to tell me that I can't do that. But, you know, I'm just going to shrug that off and not pay attention to that because, you know, I know better or I, I choose to, you know, believe otherwise or act differently. Yeah. That's, that's the, I mean, I call that our inner child, you know, our inner child will start acting up and, uh, and, and be rebellious. But as, as the adult in the situation who, who has you better smack them down. Yeah. You, you <laughs> say, well, no, I, you know, I'll demonstrate it. I'll show you, take my hand and I will lead the way. In those moments when our defeated self or when our average self want to take the lead in our life, no, that's when our you know our our best self, our um, our epic self, has to say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to lead the way, and and we allow ourselves enough room to fail, embrace that because we know that again, that's the whole idea of iteration. We recognize that uh, you know my failure in 1996 wasn't the end of my life. But um, I was able to ultimately use that failure to set up future success right. in, in different areas of my life. Likewise, that's the, that's the attitude and the, and the inner culture we have to embrace in order to, to really do things that are meaningful in our life. And um, I know I'm throwing a lot or going off on tangents here, but um, <coughs> it's, this, it's for the same reason why I'm not an advocate of setting goals the way we've always been taught. Uh, in school, I, you know, I'm not a, um, I'm not an enemy to setting goals, but um, but I think we limit ourselves a lot when mm-hmm. we get trapped in the the need to set goals. What I do believe in is, I mean, not setting goals is not a license to not just do anything in life. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about uh, actually learning how to engage vision. So learning to stop setting goals and start engaging vision. What that is is what that means is learning how to own um, a a process and a plan in our in our life. We many of us are afraid to make a choice, make a decision, because mm-hmm. we're afraid that decision will be wrong. So we settle into this idea that I don't know what my passion is. What we're really saying is is I'm not willing to make a decision to draw right. a line, a definite line. I on think the that's sand. very true. That's interesting. Yeah, and and go with this, good, bad, or ugly. But it's only when we decide to make that definitive decision will we find out, and we'll find out quickly, whether or not it was the right or wrong decision. But if it turns out to be the wrong decision, that's okay. Right, to give yourself permission to make the wrong decision. Yeah, yeah. I think that goals are, are um, they have their place in the sense that they create that structure for people who operate well within that kind of a paradigm like mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're correct in that what happens with goals is that um, they're, they're not only uh, are they limiting because you're putting a cap on it and, you know, are you the best objective, you know, decision maker to decide what you're capable or not capable of? Right. Like probably not, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. And secondarily, they tend to be very destination oriented where instead of journey oriented, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's sort of like all about like, you know, the obvious example is always the weight loss example. Like I want to lose 10 pounds or I want to lose 50 pounds. And it's all about getting to that day or, you know, crossing the finish line at that marathon or whatever it is. And, 
but then it's, it's sort of the questions never asked, like, well, now what, right. you know, like you get there and then you have the, the sort of, well, what am I supposed to do now? And then the kind of weird emotions that swirl around, you know, yeah. what happens next? Because it was all about getting to that end point as opposed to being actively engaged in the moment and in the destination and in the yeah. journey. And even, you know, I mean, it's, you hear it all the time, people that achieve these goals, whether it's an Olympic gold medal or whatever it is, they'll always tell you like, well, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was really, you know, thinking back on everything it took for me to get there is where the best memories are and where I really can engage the, you know, the joy was mm-hmm. in that process and in the journey. Yeah. And while I, I definitely believe that, that the, the, the magic and the beauty and the, and the nectar is in the journey, you know, like, like you, I am a results guy, you know, I like, I like to see results, but, but I also think that um, let's, let's live a life that's prolific as opposed to uh, goal oriented. And what I mean by that is, you know, being prolific is, is establishing a rhythm of life where, where we're, we're accomplishing stuff, meaningful stuff, stuff that matters, you know, on a regular basis. When, when, when we think of Steven Spielberg or um, Stephen King, we think these guys are prolific. They keep coming out with great stuff over and over again. For them, it's not about the goal. For them, it's, uh, you know, their work is just a snapshot of of their of their expression of their existence mm-hmm. and uh, and before they finish one thing they're off to doing another uh, another right and so it's it's that 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 perpetual journey that produces results is what I'm after that's that's living prolifically mm-hmm. that that's what we want we it's and guys will tell you people will tell you again um, after a big event uh, after the Super Bowl why is it that that you know, we hear story and st- uh, story after story of people doing something great, and then immediately, a short time afterward, you know, they blow their brains out or right. they go off on the deep end or, or something. And we're like, how did that happen? It's because you know, partly they got themselves so wrapped up in defining who they were in that moment when the moment was gone. You know, if they didn't immediately have another hill to conquer, mm-hmm. they were lost. Mm-hmm. Well, I say, well. Let's let's not limit ourselves by that. Let's have definite checkpoints. Let's let's have moments where we we can celebrate victory. I'm totally into that. But instead, let's create a, a lifestyle and, and a culture within ourselves where where we're producing these things on a regular basis. It's just it's basically just a constant manif- manifestation of who you are. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to, yeah, I want to win the Super Bowl. It's like, or if you're Spielberg, it's just, this is what I do. I'm doing it all the time. I'm on to the next thing. I'm not, I'm, and you're not, you're not overly attached to the result of, of any one thing because that's not your focus. Right. Your focus isn't, you know, crossing the, the finish line at the marathon or what the scale says that day. It's just, this is what I do now. This is who I am and I'm constantly expressing it. Exactly. It's a completely different perspective on, on the whole thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, that's, ama- that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. Cool. Live prof- prolifically. Yeah. Let's, let's live, live our your prolific, epic life. Live our <laughs> epic life. And, and here's the thing. The reason why I, I say epic, I know that's, that you know, for some that's kind of over the top, you know, live your epic life. Um, that, that's birthed out of the, again, the conviction that we all have a story to tell in our life. And uh, every epic tale, whether we read it or uh, in a book or watch it in a movie, has three main elements, right? You, mm-hmm. you have a, a flawed main character who decides to embark on some type of ambition, 
who ultimately must come up against an antagonist or conflict in order to do so. And it's in that process um, that the person's story plays out that a transformation has to happen um, that ultimately allows them to be positioned, to position themselves to actually accomplishing what it was that they once thought was impossible. Right. You know, and what I believe is what makes for a great an epic story also makes for an epic life. Um, well, we all have that story, you know, uh, it's this Joseph Campbell hero's journey and it's incumbent upon all of us to, you know, be, be the hero in our own movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Stop being an extra right. or supporting actor in your own uh, biopic. Well said. You know well I mean? said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? And we all have that power within us. You know, we all have that power and it does require a decision and it doesn't mean that it's easy and it's not about buying a book that's going to give you the three steps that where you're not going to have to do anything and your Mm -hmm. life's going to change and you're going to lose weight and all that kind of stuff. You have to take personal responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. But if you're willing to do the work and take direction and engage in this apprenticeship, you know, this, which is sort of a lost art form, you know, in which we all used to kind of grow up within the construct of that's kind of gone away. But I think, because technology is becoming so predominant as a part of our economy and so specific that that's really coming back. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to be a film editor, you have to apprentice with a film editor. You know, I mean, you can go to school and learn the the software program, but, you know, I think that you're seeing a resurgence of that. And I think that that's a, that's a good thing. You know, it's sort of like, you know, when I went and worked in a law firm, yeah, I had partners and, and senior associates that I reported to, but I don't, it wasn't an apprenticeship. You know, there wasn't like one guy who said, I'm going to teach you how to do this. Mm-hmm. And just, you're going to follow me around and do everything I do. You know what I mean? And I think that we could all benefit from having more of that in our lives. And we could all benefit from having, you know, uh, a, a support system, you know, a strong mother who believed in you and a Jeff Armstrong at the YMCA who mm-hmm. went the extra mile to look out for you because he believed in you. And so I think we all need to look at our at ourselves and at our own lives and say, who is that person for us, and who can I be that person for? Right. Oh, you just said something, and that's I think magic, powerful. There, there are there are situations and people out there right now who, when they honestly look at their life, they don't have that person. They don't have a, a mom who was totally sold out mm-hmm. to investing in them. They don't. They don't have that person who was a champion for them, even if they, and if, and when they didn't believe in themselves. Yeah, they are. But here's the key. And, and I go back to what uh, you, you, you jarred this in my mind. My eighth grade teacher always said the, the fastest way to master or learn anything is to turn around and immediately teach it to someone else. Yeah. Well, you can reverse engineer the whole apprentice process, uh, apprentice process where all again, you just decide that, you know what? I am going to teach or invest in someone else and, and show them, demonstrate to them how to get results in this area of your life. And if you, if you just do that, if you just even start there, have the courage to start there, all of a sudden you will start out of the woodwork, um, resources and relationships and things you used to take for granted that you look at at a different way will then become your teacher, that they will become your source of, of content and information that now starts to funnel through you. And in the process of you just inviting someone else along the process with you, 
you begin to practice the very thing you you once thought you couldn't do. So so really learning and and if you don't have anybody that you can think of right off the top of your mind that that your champion and and all that, you know, that's no excuse to uh to not immediately turn around and invest yourself, put yourself on the line, call yourself to the carpet and say, "You know what? I don't quite know how to do this yet." But I am committed to showing and demonstrating someone else the best approach to do it. And just putting yourself in that position immediately, all of a sudden, you now um, become this, this, this honing device where all these resources and, and all, of, all of the information you need will start to come together for you. And in the process of you sharing, you giving yourself, you pouring yourself into someone else, you benefit in the process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a that's something I learned a long time ago, and is a is a key cornerstone in recovery. Um, essentially, that you know, if you're feeling stuck or you're unhappy or you get wrapped up in your story of you know why your life isn't the way you want it to be, or you're you're getting all sort of you know, um, uh, what's the word for it? Um, just sort of self defeating and running these patterns in your brain, you know, you can't think your way out of that. You've got to act your way out of it. And mm-hmm. the best way to act your way out of it is to reach out to somebody and be of service to them, whether yeah. it's somebody who's less fortunate than you, or it doesn't even matter the form in which the service takes. It's the simple act of doing that that gets you out of yourself yeah. and into somebody else. And there's something magical about that that will shift your, not just your perspective, it will shift your energy, it will shift your life. And suddenly you start to forget about your problems. And, you know, and there's a joy in that. And and there's always, you will always end up <laughs> reaping more than you you're giving every time it's like this weird spiritual equation yeah and and not only that there's there's science to back that up as well because um as we begin to to practice again um express ourselves animate do these different things we now start to uh engage and and call on our nervous system to to fire off in new and different ways and, uh, and and create new new neural pathways that ingrain new behaviors and new responses to 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 external stimuli or or to triggers. So what used to trigger a certain behavioral pattern now triggers a more empowered behavioral pattern. Mm-hmm. And so all that starts to happen when again we in, we allow ourselves to pour into others. And and again we, we hear it in different language in business. Um, the whole and Seth Godin's a, a big proponent of this. Uh, when you start to deliver value, when you start to give away your best stuff, uh, all of a sudden, what what happens? People start to see you as the trusted authority, and pretty soon, even though they could get the same stuff from someone else, um, they choose to get it from you. Well, in the process of you doing that, you begin to own being that trusted authority, and and everything now starts to. It starts to become second nature. So what, what happens in business also can happen in every context and every area of our life. Right. Amazing. Hope that makes sense. No, it does, man. I think that's a great place to start too. How long, well, we've been going for two hours. Oh, wow. (laughs) We got to sew it up. Yeah. I think we did it though. Yeah. Oh, this has been awesome. This has been a lot of fun. I feel good. You want to get anything off your chest? Well, you know what? I feel like, I feel like jumping (laughs) on the bike and running. I feel, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped right now. I'm going to go run. Yeah. I think I got my bike right over there. You want to borrow it? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for your time.
Uh, Rich, it's really great you. to have you, man. And uh, I, I'm a I'm a better man for having you in my life. Man, I, I just want to tell you, I know there's a love fest right now, but <laughs> but you you and your story inspire me so much. Um, I mean, just just your story of of, of finding Ultra uh, inspired me to to get off my butt and do my first Ironman. Right, that's right. Man. You know, you you definitely walk the walk the talk, brother. So thank you. All right, thanks, buddy. Um, so for people that want to hook up with Byron, you, they can find him on Twitter. It's Byron Davis seven, right? Byron yeah. Davis seven. Mm-hmm. The website is, uh, is it live your epic life? Yeah. Live your epic life.com or unstoppable you HQ.com. Unsto- oh, I didn't know. I didn't, yeah, I didn't well, check that, that one out. Yeah. Yet. Unstoppable you HQ. All right, cool. And, and, uh, they can sign up there. They can read the blog. You they can check out, you know, upcoming, you have any kind of upcoming speaking engagements or any kind of, uh, group activities for people that would, you know, maybe want to contact you in person or. Yeah. Well, on, on the unstoppableuhq.com website, um, although the, uh, the boot camp is closed right now, cause we're working, um, we have a, a small group of people going through this, this, this three step three rhythm process. Um, it'll open up again in the spring. And the people can, again, leave their name and their email just to be on the, the, the notification list. All right, man. Cool. Anywhere else? Anywhere uh, else? Are people, anything else you want people to know about? What about, what about Annette's site, the, um, the Healthy Moms thing? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I've been very excited about her. Um, Annette uh, just retired from Pro Beach Volleyball. Um, she did, did the Olympic thing. She did the, you know, she got her her star on the 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 the, the Walk of Fame in Malibu. So anytime someone goes oh, down, she did. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, so she's queen of the beach. So, wow. so she's done there. She has, she's been there, done that, and now she's moving into a new phase in her life where she's on this mission to empower moms to take back the health and fitness of their kids mm-hmm. and, and and their their families and themselves. So her website is. Li- um, live your fit epic life. moms fit, fit kids yeah fit moms fit kids club.com uh-huh. she really she's creating a community of moms who want to take back their own health and fitness and then take back the health and fitness of their family so fit moms fit kids club.com and then um her her uh her regular or branding site is uh get fit with net.com cool all right all right all right man thanks so much dude thanks a lot rich appreciate awesome. it man so uh, thanks a lot for stopping by. We hope you enjoyed the show. Um, if you want to support the show, uh, you can click on the Amazon banner ad uh, on richroll.com in the podcast section. Uh, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, click through there first and it'll throw a couple nickels in our pot and won't cost you anything extra and help support us. Keep the bandwidth flowing. I want to buy a new microphone, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> or you don't have to. It's okay. Um, Chai Lifestyle, you can check that out. That's where we have our products and services. We have a digital e-cookbook, Chai Seed, which is 77 pages of awesome plant-based nutrition recipes. My Chai Repair uh, athletic supplement, plant-based protein product. Julie's meditation program, Chai Release, uh, which is pretty awesome. We're getting some great feedback on that. We just came out with a vitamin B12 supplement, which is uh, really important uh, particularly if you're on a plant-based diet, but um, a lot of people have uh, trouble with vitamin B12 deficiency. So you can read about that and check that out. I'm at richroll.com, richroll on Twitter. That's it, man. We're out of here. Thanks so much, Byron. Take it easy. Peace. Peace, plants. Yeah.